0: I think last week we got all the way through maybe 3.14. And what we talked about last time is works of the law. And I'm actually back in 3.10 now. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. And what we talked about there is that the key word is rely. Some of your translations have all those who are of works of the law But the idea there is anybody who depends on works of the law for salvation is under a curse. And we talked about the fact that the Torah is not designed as a vehicle for salvation. And we've talked in the past many times about the fact that the Torah is given to a people who have been saved by grace. So the Torah was given to Israel during the Exodus. They came out of Egypt, which is salvation by grace. God reached in there and took them out without any help from them. He took them through baptism, through the Red Sea. And he took them out on the other side. So in the Christian sense at that point, they're saved. God has reached in there and saved them. The next thing he does is he takes them into the wilderness where he gives them the Torah. So the type here is the Torah is not designed as a vehicle for salvation. It is designed as teaching and instruction on how to live in God's kingdom once you are saved. So when Paul says in verse 10, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, what he's saying here is if you're depending on the works of the law for your salvation, what you're going to find is the Torah cuts both ways. Moving down now to verse 15. So get us up to speed. So verse 15 now. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Messiah, this is what I mean. The law, the Torah, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. So the sense there is Abraham was saved by faith, and at the time of his salvation, God made promises to him. 430 years later, we have the Exodus at Sinai. And at that point, God gives the Torah. And the sense here is, wait a minute, even in human law, Making a change after the contract has been signed is not permitted. So the contract was signed, it was ratified, the covenant was cut. So once that's happened, it is not permitted 430 years later to change it. So that's all he's saying here. And that again goes with what I started off with. The Torah is not intended to be a vehicle for salvation, it's intended to be instructions on how to live a life that is pleasing to God, full of life, in other words, life-giving, and walk in blessing. That's what it's intended to convey. It is not intended to specifically bring you into the camp of God. That's the salvation process. What Paul is saying now is, Abraham has a perfectly good covenant, and the one that happened 430 years later with Israel doesn't change the terms of the covenant that was made with Abraham. That's still in effect, and that was given by grace. And I'm at verse 18 now. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Okay. What is the covenant that's made with Abraham? The covenant made with Abraham is land and descendants. He would be a nation, which means that you've got a land of your own, and you've got people in it. So what he's talking about here in verse 18, for if the inheritance, the inheritance is land. If, for if the inheritance comes by the Torah, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. In other words, God gave the covenant with Abraham, which was land and progeny, and the Torah can't change that. And so if you Galatians are trying to get the inheritance that comes with salvation through the Torah, you're missing the boat because that's not what it's designed to do. Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So what it's saying here is, given that the covenant with Abraham, which is land and descendants, was given by a promise, and given that the Torah doesn't change that, then why was the Torah given? And what he says is it was given because of transgression. So first off, in 25 words or less, what he's going to say about Sarah and Hagar. And it applies back up here because he's going to use that as the example that seals all the stuff he's going to talk about up until then. So I'm going to sort of fast forward to Sarah and Hagar and then we'll come back and we'll read this in that light. And what he's going to say is Sarah is the wife and Hagar is the slave. And the covenant, the one given at Sinai, is equivalent to Hagar, the slave. And what he's talking about is the covenant that was given at Sinai, the Ten Commandments, the Torah, the written law. We are not talking about oral Torah here. Now, one of the things that people go through when they get into Galatians is they say, well, he's talking about the oral Torah. That is not what's being talked about. It is the written Torah as given by God. Now, adding oral Torah to it doesn't make it any better. Oral Torah doesn't improve things, if you will. But he's talking about the Ten Commandments. And the problem is the Ten Commandments, you all remember this Exodus story, you've been through it 20 times, starts off that you have this marriage covenant where God makes a promise of marriage or an offer of marriage to Israel. And he says to Moses, go make them this offer. That's in Exodus 19. Moses then goes and makes them the offer and they say they accept. So then they show up at the foot of the mountain three days later, and the deal there is this is to be a covenant of marriage and what you are going to have at the foot of the mountain is a consummation. And the consummation of a marriage, and you're all adults and you've all been married, most of you, involves the husband putting seed into the wife with the intention of passing on life. That's what consummation is. The word of God is seed. The flesh and the feminine side of that is Israel. And so what God is doing is speaking his word into his bride with the intention then of bringing life forth. The bride says no. She gets through two commandments and then the bride says stop. If we hear any more, we'll die. Moses, you go find out what he's got to say. Come back, you tell us. And by the way, that's the angel of the intermediary that's being talked of here in Galatians. You go tell us what he's got and come back. At that point is when tablets of stone enter the picture. So Moses goes up and he gets tablets of stone, and the idea there is tablets of stone are a metaphor for hearts of stone. The bride would not let the groom write his word on her heart as he wanted to do. So what he did is he takes the very same words and he writes them on tablets of stone and hands them to the bride, and he says, Okay. This is to remind you that you have a heart of stone. So the covenant at Sinai, the tablets, are in fact a God. They are in fact a slave woman because it was not intended to be that way. What God wants to have happen, and it's in Deuteronomy, it's in Isaiah, it's in Ezekiel, it's in Jeremiah. What he wants to do is he wants to write his word on a heart of flesh so that it is internal to us, and we don't need to carry this written word around anymore because his word is written on our human hearts. So the Sarah covenant is the word written on the human heart. The Hagar covenant is the word written on tablets of stone. The actual words involved are no different. His rules don't change. They are one set of rules. The problem is where they're written. And he says in the future that he will take their heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. He says that in the future he will write his Torah on their hearts. Jeremiah 31. The first one was from Ezekiel. He says he will circumcise their hearts. So the idea there is when he finally does put his Torah where he wants it to be, there will be no more value. And you can then infer that perhaps had he succeeded in writing it where he wanted to write it in the first place, a lot of the tears and bloodshed that we see in Scripture would not have happened. But that's a guess because it didn't happen. I just read the book of Daniel this past week. And Daniel is a righteous man. And one of the things that happens is Yeshua talks to him. And he goes down like a sack of bricks, has to be picked up by the scruff of the neck and told, fear not. Similarly, when the angels announced to the shepherds the birth of the Messiah, the first thing they say is, fear not. Most of the encounters I see in Scripture where you have either Yeshua or God or a heavenly being of some kind come to people, they all need to go get a clean toga and they go down like a sack of bricks. So the idea that the whole nation there is listening to God himself speak, I don't have any problem with the fact that they had trouble. Back into the text. 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So, again, this is what I'm saying. Why then the law, and what he's talking about with law here is the written Torah. So why do we have a written Torah? And if you want to add oral Torah there, that's fine, but it's the written Torah. And it was written down on tablets of stone because of transgression until the Messiah, the offspring, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. That's Moses. I'm not sure what he's saying here in verse 20. Now, an intermediary implies more than one. In order to have an intermediary, you have to have two parties. That is very clear. But God is one. Who is he saying the promise is made to? Yeshua. In other words, the offspring, singular. Yet there's an intermediary, which implies two parties. But the covenant is between God and Yeshua. But God is one. So at the time of Sinai, the son is still in the loins of Judah. So you have an intermediary who is between God and Israel, or more specifically Judah, who is going to be the father, if you will, of the Messiah, many generations removed. So you have the intermediary, and the covenant is between God and his son, who is not yet born, but God is one, so he's making the covenant with himself. A covenant creates a long-term relationship. A contract lasts for the length of the deal. A covenant spans generations. So when Israel makes the covenant at Sinai, they bind their children, forever. And their children then don't have any say in it because they were bound by their parents back at Sinai. 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. And that's what we've been saying all along. The purpose of the Torah is not salvation and in fact, it cannot be salvation. There is no law that could give salvation, because a law implies performance, or lack of performance. You either know, do this or don't do that. I mean, it can either be positive or negative performance. And a law implies performance, and performance is not sufficient to save. What's sufficient to save is trust in God. And one of the things that Moses says about the Torah is all the nations around you are going to go, wow, what a wise and great people this is that has this wonderful law. And the implication there is this is not something that men cobble together. And so the perfection of the Torah is something that should point you to the giver of the Torah. So 22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of faith in Yeshua Messiah might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So who is the coming faith that was revealed? Yeshua. So 24. So then, the law was our guardian until Messiah came, in order that we might be justified by faith. And one of the things I like about liturgy is it keeps your feet on the path when your mind and your heart wander. So you show up every Shabbat. You say the prayers every Shabbat. In my mind, you know, maybe just all over the block, and I may not be into this at all, but at least my feet are on the path. And so when my mind comes back, I do not have to go out into the weeds and find my feet. They're still pretty much where they should be. The whole point of the path or the way or the liturgy or whatever you want to call it is to keep your body where it's supposed to be because your mind and your heart will wander. And you don't want your body wandering also. Because if all three of them wander, you get yourself into real trouble. You're into enough trouble with just your mind wandering. So what he's saying here is the law is designed to keep you moving in the right direction so that when you finally do wake up and come to God by faith, you're not out in some prison and a drug addict and all sorts of other things that you now have to get reeled back in. So the idea then of the Torah is that it keeps your feet on the path. So when you finally do come to a realization of God and you say, you're God and I'm not, as I say, you're not off in the weeds, you know, serving time for murder or you're not a drug addict or a whole bunch of other things because the Torah has kept you, your body, where it's supposed to be. 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Messiah came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So the law guards you until you are justified by faith. But now the faith has come we are no longer under a guardian. For in Messiah Yeshua, we are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Messiah have put on Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Yeshua Messiah. And if you are Messiahs, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. All right, heirs. And the deal here is, Heirs of what? And we talked about that at the beginning of the hour. The covenant with Abraham is land and progeny. Gentiles, I don't believe, get a slice of Israel. They may, but I don't think they do. What I think you are heirs to is the new heaven and the new earth. And for that, I will take you to Ephesians. I'm in Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Who's him? Yeshua. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Notice we're talking about inheritance again. Same subject that we just left in Galatians, right? So in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according, and I'm not going to go into the Calvinist part of this, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Messiah might be to the praise of His glory. So, in Him you have an inheritance. He's picked you, and He did so that He who was the first to hope in Messiah might be to the praise of His glory. Whose glory? God's glory. Or Yeshua is the same being. So, the fact that we have come to Him is His glory. 13. In Him you also. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So what Paul is saying here, and also saying in Galatians, is you were given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your promise, your seal. Your earnest, your claim check, whatever term you want to use. He is your guarantee that you do in fact have an inheritance and you have that guarantee until such time as you acquire possession of that inheritance. And I believe that inheritance is going to be in the new heaven and the new earth and the Spirit here has sealed you and told you that you have an inheritance coming. Before Yeshua came, the Gentiles were without hope. They had no inheritance. There were no people. And after, they now have an inheritance available to them. What he's saying is the Gentiles do not have to become Israel to have an inheritance in the world to come. What the people from Jerusalem are saying is the only way you will have an inheritance in the world to come is to become Jewish and that's not true please consider becoming a sponsor you can sponsor us for as little as a dollar a month please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor thank you